Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, this past Sunday, you took us to a really important question. Just days after Thanksgiving, what happens next? Yeah, the idea behind that is, you know, we we work up to some big event. It could be a wedding. Sometimes it's something we don't want, like a funeral. It changes our schedules. Uh, sometimes it's something exciting, like a baptism. And, and, and there's a lot of energy and effort going up to that event. And then when it's over, it's like it's over. <laughs> and it's like there's nothing else behind it. And as a community of believers, uh, I think Thanksgiving has to be more than just a day. It should be a way of life. But it seems like in our culture today, we put so much uh, hurry up, let's go shopping, let's get everything ready for Thanksgiving. We eat the big meal, watch the football games, and then it's over till next year, and all of our focus now is on the next holiday, which is Christmas. And so the idea behind this lesson was, well, Thanksgiving is over, so what happens next? And and I picked the story of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, because I believe here here was a man that uh, really understood that after something happens, there still should be something following that. And so we walked through that story. He had gone to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is a long way away. He'd gone there to worship God. And so worship was over. He was going back home. And as he's going home, he was reading the book of Isaiah, the, the scrolls that he must have purchased there. God sends a preacher, Philip, to him. They have a conversation, and at the end of the story, of course, as so many of us know, the Ethiopian is baptized. But but what we brought out in the lesson was, first of all, worship was over. He'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. He worshiped, and now he's going back home. And so technically, we could say in our term today, church is over. Worship services are over. But for him, it wasn't. He was still reading the Bible after that. And that's just impressive to think about the idea that he didn't just throw the Bible in the backseat of the car. He didn't say, well, I'll just, you know, not think about God until next week. He was a very important man. He was in charge of the Queen's Treasury and had lots of things going on, but he wasn't done. The second point we brought out was that uh, he kept his heart open. Um, there's no idea, no indication that he knew who Philip was. And so Philip runs up there and asked him a question, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And he invited Philip to, to ride with him in that chariot. You know, basically they were strangers. And we talked about the idea of studying God's word and credibility there. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. And then uh, as, as they come along and Philip teaches him about Jesus, there's some water and the eunuch asks, there's water, what prevents me from being baptized? They stopped the chariot. He's baptized. The two men part their ways, and that's kind of the end of the story as we have it in the book of Acts. But it really reminded us that, okay, Thanksgiving may be over for our community, but it's not over for us. We live thankful lives. We live as good stewards. We do what God wants us to do. Yeah, yeah. 
just a timeless story that we can learn so many things from. Acts chapter 8, if you weren't able to join us, would certainly encourage you to go back and listen to that story, read it from Acts chapter 8, but also just use this sermon. It's freely available at charlestownroad.org to stretch Thanksgiving, like you said, Roger, from a day on our secular calendar to the lifestyle that we as disciples of Jesus ought to have. So many lessons that we can learn from there. I, You took just a brief sidebar right in the middle of the sermon, and of course our Wednesday podcasts are perfect for sidebars, just to dig a little deeper into one aspect of the sermon you emphasized from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, how accurately one handles Scripture, either builds credibility or it builds distrust. Why don't you take us back there to 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, and then let's explore that important point. Let's do that. The, the apostle says here, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And so what, what we find in this passage here is the approach and the attitude we have as we think about the Bible or the Word of God. And, and really two, two powerful things come out of this. He presents us, first of all, that we're supposed to be a workman, which implies you're going to work. A workman is someone who works, you know. That's, that's just what's involved in that. But, but a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And if we just pause on that statement and ask ourselves, well, what kind of workman would be ashamed? Well, that'd be a guy who doesn't work. Uh, you know, you, you got somebody in your office and they spend the whole time, uh, the eight hours at work, um, on, uh, eBay and other places shopping <laughs> or they're playing video games. And at, uh, comes Friday, they get a paycheck, but they really hadn't worked. And, and so that kind of workman ought to be ashamed because they're not working. So our, the attitude we have as we go into this is we need to be someone who is not uh, just kind of just playing around. We're serious about handling God's word. But the other key word in this is the word accuracy. Handle it with accuracy. And that's the type of workman that would not be ashamed, someone that does it accurately. You know, I think when I hear workman and put myself to the best of my ability back in the first century, I think of, let's say, a carpenter or a stonemason. Uh, professions, workman sort of professions, where accuracy could be a really big deal, right? With a, a carpenter, maybe it's something like a table and three of the legs of that table are the same length and one leg is two inches shorter than the others. Well, obviously we've got an accuracy problem. It is not a matter of life and death necessarily, but it is an area where that workman could experience shame how much more so if we're talking about an architect or some sort of a stonemason in the first century who builds a big building that people come in and out of, and if that cornerstone isn't true, or if the stones around it aren't lined up accurately with that cornerstone, well, 
when push comes to shove through an earthquake or through a crowd or just through the decay of time, naturally, that could be a matter of life and death, right? Where the builder would not only be ashamed, but perhaps accountable for what happens as a result of not doing that work Accurately. Now, we know Paul uses that idea of a workman and applies it to Timothy. Timothy, first and second Timothy, makes it clear Paul is calling him to do the work of an evangelist. That was a long time ago. Do modern-day evangelists still need to take 2 Timothy 2.15 seriously? They do. And, and, and a study of uh, church history has just shown us that there's major doctrines that people believe that has come about from inaccurate handling of the Word of God. There are whole movements today that have come about because people have not handled the Word of God accurately. Another word for accurately would be correctly or rightly. And and so, uh, you know, if, if every single person handled the Word of God correctly, rightly, or accurately, we'd all be the same. Uh, I think that's the idea. Now, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And, you know, one, one of the things, we, as we look at this passage, we just have to dismiss from our minds is this common idea that no one can understand the Bible like someone else. Uh, we, we have just heard that through the years, that that you look at the Bible and have your own view, I look at the Bible and have my own view, and never, ever can we ever agree upon this. But it's interesting we can agree upon physics. We can, we can sit in a college class about Shakespeare and we can understand that. We can watch a movie and get the same plot. Here's what, here's what this movie is all about. Music, art, all these different areas where, where there are interpretations. We can get the right idea. But when somebody comes to the Bible, they say, well, we just can't, we can't come to the same conclusion. To me, that points the finger to God, that God is, is a terrible writer. And he writes a book in which no two people can understand it. And if that is true, then Jesus' statement, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, is really false. And if he's wrong about that, what else is he wrong about? Yeah. So so I am one who comes to the conclusion that I think we can know the Bible. I think we can handle it accurately. I think we can understand what God wants us to know. And so accuracy is something that's not just a first century world thing. It's something we use in our everyday life. You go, uh, you work at a job and come payday, you want them to pay you accurately, because if it's not, then then something's not right. You go to the doctor and have some medical tests. He, you want him to look at those things accurately, because if not, it can determine everything else about that. And so in this passage, God is telling Timothy through Paul that he wants him, this is what God expects. I expect when you come to the Bible to handle it accurately. And, and we need to see just randomly opening the Bible, just pulling out a verse and reading the verse without understanding what's going on all around it. We, we can get all kinds of ideas that way, but that may not be the accurate way God intended us to know that passage. All right, so let's dig in a little to that sidebar that you took us on based on 2 Timothy 2.15. You, you said how accurately one handles Scripture 
either builds credibility or distrust. Let's start with the credibility side of things. Why do preachers, teachers, any of us who share God's word with others, why does credibility really, really matter? It's a trust factor there, and and so when I'm sitting down with somebody, now again, what what we're not indicating is just a blind trust. As you listen to us today, just don't believe it because we say so. We'll see in just a moment in Acts 17 that the Bereans were considered noble because they were hearing things, but they would compare that with the Word of God. The Word of God was the final answer. It was the standard. And so when somebody writes something, someone says something, someone preaches something, someone teaches me in the class, and I look into God's Word, and I see, that's right. That's exactly the way God said it. That's the way God intended it to be. It builds a bridge of trust with this person. And and I can begin to think, okay, this guy knows something about the Bible. He may know a little bit more than I know about him, but I see how he's using it, how careful he is with the words, how careful he is with the context. And that builds that, that sense of credibility with him. How can I build credibility maybe is a a question worth exploring because we understand okay as i stand up to preach or to teach to share god's word there is a certain amount of trust that the hearers are putting in me well how how can i build that and guard that over the course of time of course, you know, the opposite of credibility was, would be something that's incredible, something that's fake or false. And so one of, one of the ways you build credibility is that your walk and your talk match. Uh, it's easy to say things behind a pulpit. It's easy to say things in a Bible class. But when, when people see me out in the store, uh, do I still live those things? When, when I'm interacting with other people, do I still act this way? I talk about this attitude that Jesus had. Well, do I have that attitude? I talk about how, you know, we're supposed to be honest and true. Am I that way at home? And, and so your walk and your talk have, have a lot to do with developing that trust and credibility people have with you. You know, I would add to this just, the attitude that I bring to that opportunity. You and I both have had this, I, I, I think it's kind of a curious experience every once in a while to be invited somewhere uh, that you've never been before. Maybe you know one or two people there. There's, there's a certain amount of credibility that even came with the invitation, right? You were invited because there's something known about you, but uh, let's say there's a hundred people in the audience. You walk in and, and you don't know 98 of these people. But from the very first time that you meet them and interact with them and talk to them, the way that you talk to them, it's remarkable, isn't it, how just over the span of three, four, five, six days, you build a certain amount of credibility just by the way you treat people. Absolutely. And and that interaction, again, what you're doing is you're you're showing your character and your character really is like a window to your soul. And so people really see what you are. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are fake 
and they they have two sides to them. They have a public side to them, and then they have the real side to them. And the public side is an image, an image they created, and an image that maybe their PR people or what, whatever want, wants to project before the audience. But the private life is so different from that. Well, that's not the way it is with a Christian. A Christian, a Christian is going to be the same everywhere, public or private, at work, at home. He's genuine. And, and that that is where we get this idea of being honest and true and trustworthy as God wants us to be. That ought to especially be sobering to us who have families at home, right? Because one thing to get up and preach or teach on Sunday, but I have perhaps lived with a spouse. I've lived with children who are still in my house. And over the course of time, if they see me living or acting or reacting, handling anger and frustration one way, Monday through Saturday, and then getting up and being completely different on the Lord's day. Well, we all make mistakes. We all need grace and, and patience. We might talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but over the course of time, that, that dissonance, that difference between what people at home are seeing versus what they are seeing in public that can really have a very detrimental effect. And that's, that's where the idea of hypocrisy comes about. You know, the, yeah. the, the word hypocrite or hypocrisy comes from the idea of being an actor. Now, today uh, on the film and today on the stage, we may have a 100 people in a play or in a movie. Back in the first century world, it might have been just one or two people. And so the actor would put on a mask, throw his voice, and he's the villain. He would turn his back, put another mask on, change his voice, and now he's the hero. Same person, different mask. And so uh, the idea of a hypocrite is someone who's wearing a mask. And Jesus and Matthew 6 just went through a lot of that with the first century world. They would pray in the street corners to be seen by men. They'd put on a gloomy face when they were fasting just to be seen by men. They were interested in the image rather than the heart. And so that is, again, something that uh, when we think about being authentic, something that's uh, honest and accurate, we're going to be the same everywhere we are. All right. So on one hand, how accurately I handle Scripture can build credibility. On the other, it can build distrust. Yeah, you know, and, and I use some examples. You know, the, the Bible is layered. There, there's some simple things in it. It's not hard to understand. There are some very hard things to understand. And some of those simple things, if a guy is fumbling the ball on those things— uh, how can I trust him on some of these deeper things? And, and I've, I've had a lot of experiences, a lot of people in my life, a lot of books I've read where I'm reading something and a guy just totally misuses a verse. He, he applies it to someone that is not written to. He takes it out of context. He misuses the words. And so I'm reading this or I'm hearing this and a red flag goes up. And I think, no, that's not right. And, and if I can't trust you on a simple thing, how can I trust you on something very, very difficult? And that's, that's what, that's what this passage is reminding us of, is that as a workman, you handle it accurately. So when people look at this and examine this, they're going to see, yes, this is right. This lines up with what God says. When I say things and it does not line up with what God says, 
then the problem's not God, the problem is me. And so people are going to say, I don't trust you. And so when we have someone who's inaccurate or incorrect or wrong, then we start having all kinds of question marks, red flags go up. Yeah, we heard in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, the way Paul describes the standard. It is the word of truth that we are to rightly handle. You mentioned the Bereans earlier from the book of Acts. It is not, I think, important to to interject into this conversation. It is not a bad thing, a mistrustful, disrespectful thing to listen with open Bibles, right? It is not inauthentic or untrusting to compare everything that we are hearing. Even if I have heard this person preach a hundred or a thousand times to compare what they are saying with the word of God, why is it so important that day in, day out, week in, week out, no matter who is doing the preaching or teaching or vlogging or podcasting or whatever you want to talk about, why is it so important that we keep comparing what we're hearing to this word of truth? Because because as you just said, it is the word of truth. It is the final answer. And, we, and, and that's how credibility is put. We are human. We are flawed. None of us are perfect. Some of us make mistakes. Some of us have an agenda, and they purposely want to mislead people. So when I go through the drive through the bank, and I cash a check, and, and she counts it out in the window, and she sends it through that little tube, and I get it, I count it myself. Is it because I don't trust her? No, mistakes happen. Sometimes you get bills stuck together. You just, you just want to be sure. And so anyone who does anything publicly, whether it's preaching, writing, a blog, a podcast, teaching a Bible class, um, they have to understand it's the responsibility of the students and the audience to look at what they're saying. Yeah. And, and, they, and the audience should. It's when we have that blind trust that no matter what you say, I'm going to believe it. That's how Satan will get into a church and, and the doors of error happen. But when you have an audience with their Bible open, and we encourage our folks to bring their Bibles, turn to these verses, read them with us. And, and, and as they do that, it, it, it builds the idea that, okay, I'm seeing with my own eyes in my own Bible what is being said. And does this match with what has been said? Does this match with the context? Does this match with what God says in other places? And that will help us as we think about this journey together. All right. Last question, at least from me. Anyone who teaches or preaches or writes long enough is going to have someone who comes along and either asks a question or poses a challenge, offers some sort of correction, perhaps even a rebuke. And we could have an entire podcast series on all of those things. Let's just talk about knee-jerk first reactions. When I, as the teacher or preacher or author, have someone that comes along and wants to think a little more deeply and wants me to think a little more deeply, if my heart is to accurately handle the word of truth, how should I handle that, even when it's criticism? Well, first of all, you need to have listening ears. 
Uh, again, none of us are right except the Lord. And so it could be I, I forgot a passage over here. It could be that I, you know, had my dates wrong or something. And, and, and I stand corrected. And anyone who has taught any length of time has made mistakes before. Sure. That, 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 that's one thing. And, and you need to understand that. Some people are not very good at delivering criticism. Some people do it harshly. And they can be very mean about that, and that's that's on them, and they shouldn't do it that way. But you listen and you learn. Sometimes a person comes to you, and what they say is not right. Uh, and and what you try to do is get with them and say, well, let, let's consider this. Let's consider here's here's where I came to my conclusion. My conclusion is based on these passages. This is what God said over here. And it may be something that they hadn't thought of before, and they will stand corrected. Some people are just down there right mean, and they're just like an old dog. They just, they just want to bite you, you know, and and you listen to it, and they're not interested in, in anything you say, and you just say, God bless you, and let them go on down the road. You know, it's just, it's you know, there, there, there are people who are criticizing Paul and criticize the Lord, and sometimes even when truth is said, uh, there will be people who do not want to hear that. And so you just got to kind of keep that before you. But our standpoint is we have to be accurate. And so it's not whether the congregation likes it. It's not whether it be, makes a great sermon and puts me on the, the circuit. Well, it's the idea that I can stand before God and say, Lord, as a workman, I have nothing to be ashamed of because I did it the best I could. Yeah, yeah. Powerful note to end on, presenting yourself to God as one approved, first and foremost, by God. Roger, I appreciate you digging around in that little sidebar with me. Definitely appreciate the sermon. And as we mentioned, if you've not had the opportunity to watch or to listen, the sermon title was What Happens Next? It's freely available front and center at charlestownroad.org and in our podcast feed. Speaking of teaching, uh, this is Wednesday. We are looking forward to having the opportunity this evening, 7 o'clock p.m., to do some teaching and learning together. You're going to be teaching in the auditorium. Yes, we are We are doing a, a series entitled How the Old Testament Finishes or Ends. And this month we are in the book of uh, Nehemiah. And so tonight we're going to be talking about how to keep the fires going as Nehemiah had to deal with some issues there. We in our Building Blocks track of studies are exploring Exodus through Deuteronomy. You shall be my people is the name of that class. Here in recent Wednesdays, we've looked at the tabernacle. We've looked at the priesthood. Tonight, we want to talk about the sacrifices that were made and described throughout those Old Testament books and really how that sets us up for the way so much of the New Testament communicates with us. We would love to have you with us this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. Roger, as hard as it is for me to believe this Sunday is the first Sunday of the last month of 2023. We are on the doorstep of December. Here at Charlestown Road, our theme for the year has been finish what was started 
There are lots of directions that we could continue to explore along those lines. I hope this Sunday morning to kick off a little four-part series of sermons. Two of them will be the next two Sunday mornings. The last two will be uh, on Sunday evenings. But we're going to go back and just walk through Paul's second letter to Timothy and draw out some finish what was started lessons from that. We would love to see you at 9.30 a.m. for the kickoff of of that series. Roger, you're going to be preaching at 5 o'clock p.m. Yeah, we're going to take a lesson from the Old Testament from a time when the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon. And she observed something that was very unique, and we're going to call the sermon The Happy Servants of God, and it's going to deal with our attitude as we work with God. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thank you to all of you who are listening, have been listening for a good long time to This Week at Charlestown Road. It would be great to see you at 7 o'clock p.m. tonight. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.